Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. My uh, job today is mostly tour guide. Uh, and so we're going to read a lot of scripture and I'm just going to try to point some things out along the way. Um, as, as we jump in, we've been working episode by episode through the book of Exodus. And um, uh, here, here's where I want to start. Uh, did anybody, when you were younger, for some of you, will, you will have to think back farther than others. Um, did anybody, when you were younger, do something or your parents allowed you to do something in the car that under no circumstance would you ever allow your kid to do in the car today. Anybody? Yes. Some of you, just uh, a quick poll um, earlier. Um, some of you, you, you remember like in the sedans of old, that you'd have the little, uh, it was quite a bit of space between like the, the back seat and the window that came down. And some of you just shoved your four-year-old up there and go, here, kid, take a nap. Anybody take a nap up on that shelf? Several of you. Uh, when I when we were traveling and I was younger, back in the day, we had a thing that was called rear-wheel drive. Nobody, okay, they weren't all front-wheel drive people. And so you had uh, what we called the hump in our in, in the Henderson family. It was the hump that went through the middle where the drive shaft went through. And I could lay a pillow up against the door and stick my rear end against the hump, and I was set. It was like my own recliner. And I just, boy, you'd conk out, Yes. Uh, you, seat belts were a mere suggestion or an accessory that got in the way of you punching your brother. I mean, any number of other things. And today, there's like, there's no way, no way we would let our kids do that today, even though our cars are allegedly safer. It's funny. Uh, so, uh, but, but the, the one thing, and you just hearken back to this, uh, depending upon the, the family in which you grew up. But the one thing that may carry over from then to now is that at some point a parent will be driving and something will happen in the back seat and that parent will turn around and go, don't make me pull this car over. Anybody have that? Sometimes through gritted teeth. I said, don't make me pull So um, today we're going to magnify the Lord because he doesn't pull the car over. He is profoundly patient with us. He needs to pull the car over and whip us. I mean, that is the truth. But he doesn't. He is stunningly patient with us. And today, we're going to work through a big chunk of the Bible uh, in the story of Exodus. And we will see over and over and over again people who God needs to just jerk the car over and uh, pull his belt off and go to town. But he doesn't. He doesn't. So today's episode is... A reminder that God doesn't pull the car over. We're going to start in uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 15, in verse um, 22. And what we're magnifying here, what we're holding up, is that God is stunningly patient towards a people who he probably needs to pull the car over for. But here we are, verse 22. 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Don't you wish that we could just walk around and name places these days? We're like... Anyway, okay, verse 24, and the people grumbled. Now, that is not the first time, nor, excuse me, that is the first time, but it's not, not the last time that we will see grumbling. Ten times here uh, over the next chapter and a half or so, we're going to see the folks grumbling, fussing, however you want to say it. They grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, literally a tree, 
uh, a tree and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. So you got it in your mind what's going on? The people set out in Exodus 14. God sends them through the Red Sea, wipes out Pharaoh's army, stunning, unbelievable victory. Horse and rider they've thrown, uh, God's thrown into the sea. They get on the other side, they look back, they see what God has done and their deliverance launches them into Psalm, Exodus chapter 15, and they just bust out. And Moses leads out and all the men are just cranking there and the women grab tambourines. I didn't see any women grabbing tambourines today, but they, they jumped around and sang, the Lord has done this. He has done this amazing deliverance. And then here at the end of 15, they went three days, verse 22, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water and then they started grumbling. Moses took a tree, threw it in the water. It was just whatever it was, and God made it drinkable. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, and he goes on saying, hey, this is who I am. I am Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. Okay, so um, there's four kind of lessons along the way here, and I just want to highlight these. Uh, here's number one. God's patience, because he is being profoundly patient here. Three days, three days. I mean, he could have said, hey, don't you remember what I did just three days ago? Three days ago, people. God's patience in leading us. Well, let us learn some things about ourselves. God's patience in leading us will let us learn some things about ourselves. They come to the place. They sit there and they're like, oh, here's some water. They've been down to drink it. Tastes like Clear Creek. Nobody wants that, right? And, and enough trees we can throw in there. But God throw, has Moses throw a tree in there. It becomes what, what the, the water that's worth drinking. And in that moment, what was happening? The circumstance was revealing something about them. It wasn't the bitterness of the water that was the main problem. Where was the bitterness? In their own souls. Right here in their hearts. That's, that's where. That was the problem that needed to get addressed. Fixing water, that's easy. He just, Moses grabbed that little chunk of it in there. That, that was easy. But what God wanted them to see was what was going on in here. And the, Here's the thing. God will use circumstances. And church family, listen. He is even patient enough with us to lead us into circumstances. Not just like, oh, this is happening in your life. Here, here, let me show you some things. But to lead us into circumstances. To help us see what we need to see that is in us. Because once we see what is in us, then God can go to work um, to transform us. If you want to kind of take a diagnostic of yourself, you uh, can, can figure, um, uh, just think about this. Um, as he leads us and we learn some things about ourselves, one of the things that we learn to ask is, God, what are you showing me in this situation? Rather than, God, what are you doing to me in this situation? Folks who have walked with Jesus for a while, they get to the point where they know that God has led them. They know that they're three days into the wilderness and all of a sudden they've got bitter water before them. And you're like, huh, God, what are you, what are you showing me? What do you, what do you, what is, what do you want me to see here? Folks who haven't walked with Jesus as long are still thinking about, God, what are you doing to me here? The point of maturity is to get to the point where God is saying, uh, or God is showing things to you, and you get the opportunity to then respond. Again, the bitterness of the water wasn't the primary problem. That was actually very easily solved. The bitterness of soul, that was a completely uh, different thing. So instead of, what are you doing to me? God, what are you showing me? That's how he leads us. 
so that we see some things about ourselves. Uh, chapter 16. We're going to read quite a bit here. Uh, I'll skip a few, but I just want you to see kind of what happens here. <clears throat> they, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now, you think to yourself, that's aptly named. Uh, it's actually not Sin as you and I know it, but Sin because it relates to Sinai, uh, which is between Elim and Sinai. There you go. Um, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel did what? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Can we just pause for one second here? Um, Were things going swimmingly in Egypt when they were there? It is amazing how our current circumstance can rewrite history. that right there. Uh, I want to skip down to verse 6. So Moses and Aaron, um, so God promises uh, food. Uh, Skip down to verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us. It's against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, uh, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard your grumbling. I've heard, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So, verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? Um, that, that's where we get the word manna. Um, Amanda uh, read that passage later in chapter 16. That's where manna is from. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Uh, But when they measured it with an omer, uh, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Verse uh, 19. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. It bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry at them. I told this to the 830 service, but this is just kind of, this is just a fun Bible thing. Anytime in the Old Testament where somebody gets angry, it's literally their nose got hot. Which I just think is a cool description of anger. I just think that's... That's pretty good. Um, uh, verse 21, morning by morning they gather, each much you could eat, uh, the sun grew hot, it melted. Okay, so right, here's what's happening. I'm, we're all hungry. We're out here in the wilderness. God sends quail. They grumble. God sends quail. In the morning they wake up. They've got manna on the ground. They collect manna. 
Moses is going to go on to say at the end of chapter 16, hey, uh, on, uh, on day 6, you need to collect twice as much and it won't, it won't rot like it does on all the other days because you just need to trust God for the Sabbath. There's a really big lesson for all suburban people there. Um, but here's the thing, as, as, you know, and many people didn't because this is the history of Israel and the history of humanity. Here's the thing. God brought them out of Egypt delivered them through the Red Sea, was taking care of them all along the way, and was, and, and I mean, they're just barely into this journey, and they're like, ah, I wish we had a different menu. God's patience in providing lets us learn some things about Him. When, when God expresses His patience in providing for us, even though we grumble, even though we fuss, even though we do the things that we shouldn't do, we're going to try to hoard some things and it ends up stinking. We're going to not collect in ways that we should. Listen, God's patience in providing lets us learn some things about him. What, what would uh, one of those things be here? He is, I mean, he really does care for his people. He really does. So I just... For all of you facing things, for all of you wondering how a situation is going to shake out, for all of you feeling that kind of grumble, that fussing, that thing rising up in you where you're like, oh God, come on. I mean, really? This is, or, this is the point. Are you sh- I just want you to know he cares for you. He really does. And, and, he expects you to obey him by faith as you walk. And sometimes that's the hardest part is for you to say, God, I believe that you're going to provide for me. And I think I'll hold a little bit back here. No, no. Continue to believe him as you, excuse me, continue to obey him as you express your belief in him. Um, Here's what we learn. We learn to work really hard as God intends us to do. I mean, these people, they had to go out and gather all of this stuff, right? He intends us to uh, work hard while, while releasing control. Now, if the past 18 months, 24 months have disabused us of anything, it is the notion that we are in control of anything. We learn to work. We're going to go gather this stuff as he intends us to do while releasing control. Um, The thing, as God expresses his patience... In providing for us the thing he shows over and over and over and over and over again is that we're not the ones in control. God is the one who's in control. As you work through the thing that's at your work situation or your family situation or your uh, uh, um, friend uh, neighborhood soccer match, like as you work through any of the number of spheres that you may find yourself in, it's just a reminder. Yeah, we have effort to expend here. That is true. God's in control. We're doing those two things simultaneously. We work and we release control. Uh, I I said this in the 830 service. Nowhere for me has this become more apparent uh, than as a parent. So we just sent our first one off to college. And what I'm finding is we worked really hard and we weren't in control at all, (laughs) ever. I mean, you, you know, the baby comes and like... You're just like the Israelites. You're like, what is this? I mean, you know, you got the, like your own kind of moment right there. And then you learn to be a dad. And you work really hard at it so that you're a good dad. And all the while, you're releasing them. 
You're releasing control as they go. And that could apply to any number of places in your life. God provides, and he's in control. And so, folks, we can trust him. We can trust him. Okay, third. Verse 17, uh, excuse me, chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. According to the commandment of the Lord, they camped there at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. So he used quarrel instead of grumbled. But can we just pause here for a second? So um, Exodus 14, God delivers them through the water. Exodus 15, amazing song. And then um, God heals the water. This bitter water is now sweet. It's good for drinking. Exodus 16, God brings quail and uh, he brings manna. Exodus 17, oh, we're thirsty again. Is this anybody else's story? Feel like you're holding up a mirror? Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Don't, don't miss that phrase. Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses. There's our word. And said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our kids with the livestock and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, because he wanted them to see it as well. Um, behold, I will, uh, verse 6, I, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us? Can we just pause for a second? They asked the question, is the Lord among us? I mean, they've literally got a pillar of cloud and fire. I mean, you look at that and you're like, just how stupid are you people? You've got a physical sign right there. How dumb are you? I would never do that, that, right? God's patience in our hour of testing or temptation, those two words are the same word in the Bible. Testing and temptation, same word. God's patience in our temptation lets us learn some things about our relationship with Him. So we've learned some things about ourselves. There's some stuff going on that God needs to fix inside of me. We've learned some things about God. God is faithful and He is in control. And now we're learning about our relationship with Him. Thirst here is kind of a metaphor for our desires. I mean, God, that's the question. Like, God, you're not doing what I expect you to do. Anybody? You're not working the way that I think you should work. You're not doing the things that I think you should do. So... His patience in our test or temptation lets us learn some things about our relationship to Him. Here's the thing, church family, and hold on to this. He is more focused on our transformation than on our comfort. And He will continue to be more focused on our transformation than our comfort. And all of that transformation, all of that work happens at deeper levels than we want to recognize. Um, because we... We think, oh, I'll just do this and that, that'll kind of make us all good. No, no, no. God's at work far deeper than that. He wants to change you at the level of your heart. He wants to get in here where the desires are at, at, you know, kind of out of line and out of whack. And he wants to go there and he wants to start there. And that will be the thing. 
uh, that he works to change. Here then is, is uh, one of the things that we learn. That when it comes to God's patience and us learning about our relationship with him, say it this way. One of the things that we learn along the way, as, as God is patient with us and as we walk with him, we learn to pray for God to use the trial or the test to destroy our sin rather than f- to pray that the trial not destroy us. So that's a mouthful, and it's up on the screen here, and I just want to pick it apart here for just a second. Some of us, we get into trial. We get into a time of testing. We get into something. We're like, God, please don't let us, please don't let us crumble under this. Please don't let us fall under this. Please don't let us die under, underneath this. Folks, there is stuff worse than death, like unfaithfulness to God. So don't let this trial crush Pray that. Is it okay to pray that? Sure. Yes, it's okay. But there's another level in our relationship with him as it grows, as it expands, as we trust him more, and as he goes to work deeper and deeper and deeper in us, one of the things that we learn to pray is, God, I'm in this trial, I'm in this situation, I'm in this test, I'm out here in the wilderness, and it doesn't feel like I have any water here. I know you've provided water before. I know you've had me, delivered me right through the water. Water is not your problem. But like in this moment, God, I'm really struggling here. Please use this struggle to destroy the sin in my life. That's a place, if we get to that, God's patient work with us. You will know, you will know that God's patient work with us is changing your relationship with It's not a matter of relief. Some of us, that's all we want. Relief. God wants to sanctify us. He wants to make us holy. He wants to transform our character so that we are like Jesus. And just in case you're wondering, God's not going to allow the trial to take you out. He won't. But, but, He will use that to sanctify you. And our, our growth... Our spiritual growth is more important than our relief. Last thing. At the end of verse, uh, chapter 17 here. Uh, verse 8. Then, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, he fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat down on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Um, God's patience with us in our service uh, lets us learn some things about our limits. Moses is on the top of the hill holding up the staff. Dude, my shoulder hurts. He lowers it. Things start to go sideways. So what does he have? He has people who come alongside him and hold it up for him. We all need Aaron and her in our lives, folks. We all need people who will hold up our hands when we can't. It's one of the reasons we say around here, church is family. We, we need people to step into our lives. 
physically step into our lives and hold our hands up. Skip over to chapter 18. Look at verse 13. It's the last big text block we're going to read here. The next day Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law, that's um, Jethro, and when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. Now, verse 19, obey my voice. I'll give you this advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, hate a bribe. Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. Any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier on you. And they will, uh, they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure. And all the people also will go to their place in peace. We learn something. God's patience with us as we serve him, as we try to do what he wants. We, we learn something about our limits. Moses says, all these people around. Jethro's like, dude, you're killing yourself and everybody else too. You think that it all depends on you. You think that it all is reliant upon you and your capacity. But the truth is, you don't have the capacity for all of this stuff. I mean, you, you literally don't have the time to make it all happen. So you need to appoint all these people, let them judge the smaller things, and, and uh, you, you handle the great matters and represent God to the people. That's what you need to know. Some of us in our day and in our age... Our sense of independence and our sense of individuality that we grew up with because we grew up in the West and we grew up in America. Listen, folks, it is a myth. None of us got to where we are because we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. None of us. We need one another. We need Aaron and her to hold us up. We need some folks to, to manage other things in our lives. We need Jethro to step into our lives and go, hey, man. I don't know if you thought about this or not, but what you're doing is not good. We need somebody to step in and tell us the truth. We need one another. Here's what we learn about our limits. We, we learn that we need others and that Jesus himself, Jesus is the only truly good mediator of our relationships. S sometimes we want other things to mediate. We want Facebook to mediate. We want digital life. We want our own achievements. Hey, look at all the things that I've done. Here's my wall of achievement. We want those to mediate. Jesus is the only truly good mediator who can help us interact with one another in the healthiest of ways and grow into who we need to be. We need one another. So, so why be patient? I mean, again, God doesn't pull the car over. Why not? I mean, like he should. They grumble a lot. All these crazy people in this Bible, they grumble a lot. Sometimes we do, but not near as much as they do. Why didn't he just pull the car over? Here's why. There's two reasons. Number one, this is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Look at this verse. 
Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume on them? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God expresses his kindness and his forbearance and his patience so that you and I would come to a place where we're like, God, oh, I see. I, sorry about that. I need to do something different than what I've been doing. I repent. I change my mind about this. And I'm going to go a different way. God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance is designed to lead us to repentance. Secondly, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any um, should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His patience creates space so that his kindness and forbearance and patience can lead you to repentance. So his patience is creating the space for us to repent, and he's leading us toward that. That's why God doesn't just pull the car over. He wants you and me to repent and to experience a life with him. So these final questions here. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus to heal you of your bitterness of soul? There are things in your heart that technology cannot fix. You have to have something else go to work inside of you. Secondly, um, do you trust Jesus to be enough for you today? Bread, manna, quail, do you trust him to be enough for you today? Thirdly, do you trust Jesus to satisfy your desires? I'm in the wilderness and my goodness, I'm thirsty. Do you trust him that he can satisfy your desires? And lastly, do you trust Jesus to give you the help that you need even if it's not the help you necessarily want. I'd rather do it on my own. We need to repent in that moment of our self-reliance. But where does it all begin? Look at that first question. Where does it all begin? It begins with a tree that heals. Give or take 1,500 years after this moment right here, there was another tree that brought healing. And Jesus died on it. And by his dying, he paid for all of our sins, every one of them. All the stuff that's in your past, you're hauling around. All the stuff that's in your present. All the stuff that is still out there in front of you where you'll stub your toe or stick it in the ditch. He paid for all of that. It all begins with a tree that heals. If you're in the room today or you're watching online today and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to say to you the absolute best thing that could happen today in your entire eternity is for you to surrender your life to Jesus. Give your life to him today. And if you're here in the room and you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you need to say to God, God, there's a, a place in my soul where I'm really still struggling or there's a place that I'm, I mean, I just, I'm, I cannot, I, I just can't get on board with how you're working things out or this temptation, this thing that's overcoming me, it feels too big for me or um, God, would you just bring some people along to help me hold up my hands, to speak a word of truth and perspective to come alongside of me and help get done the things that need to get done. What do you need to surrender to him today? It all begins with the tree that heals. Let me pray and we'll have a song of response.
Um, Father, now, in Jesus' name, uh, would you complete the work that you have begun? Through your word, you have given us a sense, maybe even a picture of of what we need to become, how we need to believe you, expressions of the ways that we trust you. So God, I, I pray, I pray for every person in here and for every person watching online. I ask you, Father, that um, by your Holy Spirit, you would let those questions resonate in us. And I, on behalf of the Lord this morning, I just want to promise you whatever surrender looks like today, whatever faith looks like for you today. The sweetness is on the other side. The goodness is on the other side. The rightness is on the other side of your surrender. He is wonderfully patient with you to lead you to repentance and create space for that to happen. Continue your work, Father, in all the ways that are best. Do the things in us that we need done the most. And we'll trust you all along the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.